Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. As we already mentioned, tonight we are going to have a service outdoor in our parking lot to remember our high school graduates and also to honor our Bible instruction course graduates. And we'll also have just some time of fellowship, an opportunity to, to be together. And so we're looking forward to that. But as I was thinking about that service tonight and thinking about how we're going to be talking to the graduates, uh, reminded me of this conversation I had with Hunter back at the Winter Blast in February. Hunter Stelwagen came up to me and he said, hey, in one of your next sermons, you should make sure that you talk about the Great Emu War. And I had no idea what he was talking about at the time, but uh, we'll, we'll try to work that in for you, Hunter. Um, but just thinking back, that was February that we were at the Winter Blast. That seems like three years ago. And yet it was only like four months. And so much has changed, even in the last month in our country and in our world. So much has changed over the last several months that, that it feels like those things, you, you think back to those moments in mid-February where it was just, you're doing your regular stuff. And you, we have no idea of what is about to come into our world. We had no idea that we would be doing church like this for months. Even as we started to do it, we thought, okay, we'll do this for a couple weeks and we'll figure it out. Um, but it has just continued. And we're so excited that we're able to start being together again soon. Uh, it's, we're looking forward to, to worshiping in the same place, even while we're wearing our masks and taking care of one another that way. Um, at least to be able to be together safely is, is something we're looking forward to. But as I've been thinking about this, as I've been, as we have been in these last couple months here, this verse from First Peter has been coming through my mind over and over and over again. And that is First Peter chapter four, verse seven, where Peter says, "The end of all things is near." And I just imagine if someone had came up to me in February, if Hunter had come up to me and he said, instead of let's talk about the Great Emu War, he had said the end of all things is near. And I would have said, what are you talking about? Uh, and yet we've seen so much of what is normal has come to an end, or at least has been put on pause. And so this, this line from First Peter has just been bouncing around in my head for, for months now. And I've been talking about it. We talked about it in ACT a little bit a couple weeks ago. Um, but so much in our world has changed and is changing. And there's a sense that some of us are longing to just get back to the way things were, but there's a, a realization that I think a lot of us have that things are not going to go back to normal. Things might settle out eventually, and, and, and things will eventually kind of move into a new status quo, but it's not going to be like it was. And that's obviously true for every day, you could say, is not like it was the day before. But the way that our society chooses to function, there's going to be things that, that change. And some of those things are are good, and some of those things are, are going to be hard. But I think we're coming to this realization that what we're in here is, is a marathon and not a sprint as we deal with our changing world. And so Peter says the end of all things is near, and we hear those lines, and, and at least if, for me, I say, yeah, the end 
is, is near of some things. And for Peter, he has this concept of what, what Peter is talking about is this culmination of the world in which Christ returns. And we're still in this expectation. We can say that today we are closer to that than we were in the time of Peter. But there's this sense that, that the world is being disrupted. And for some of us, this is a feeling that is scary. We're not sure what to do with it. And for some of us, there's, there's some hope that the world might be changing for the better, that we might be making progress in some areas that we have needed to make progress in for so long and have not. And so we're in this in-between where for probably for most of us, it's a little bit of both. There's some fear and there's also some hopefulness. And so this is what I want to talk about today. Peter is writing to a group of people, a church that has been scattered. They, they've been separated. Their lives have been disrupted. You, you see this on almost every page of First Peter. There's, there's suffering. There's consequences. There's fear. And Peter is writing to this church to encourage them, to remind them, and to tell them, this is how you live in this disrupted world. The end of all things is near. This is what I want to talk about today. And as we do so, we're going to talk about three other things. We're, of course, going to talk about the Great Emu War of 1932. We're going to talk about being a parent. It's Father's Day. And so we'll talk a little bit about parenting. And then we're going to talk about people hiding in baskets. So Peter says this, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore... Be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. The first thing he tells his people as they are reflecting on this world, the end of all things is near. He says, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. So let's talk about the great emu war of 1932. Some of you probably know this. The Bowers probably are very familiar with this war uh, because it happened in Australia. And essentially what happened in the 1930s is these farmers were running into, in Australia, these farmers were running into a problem where as they were growing their crops, the land was overrun with emus and they were coming in there eating their crops. And so this, this became a problem. And the solution that the Australians came up with was to get some former military personnel together and to go out and to attack the emu with machine guns, thinking that this would drive them away and you'd, you'd kill the emu and they would no longer be slaughtering or destroying your crops. Well, it didn't work. Uh, they tried it for months, and the emu, coincidentally, didn't just stand there. They, they ran away. And they, if you've ever seen... Uh, flightless birds or uh, you try to like catch a turkey or something like that like they go all over the place they don't just stay in one place and wait for you to to catch them they'll they'll run off and so of course the emu scattered and it was this ineffective attempt to cull the emu population in Australia and and it didn't work they tried it again uh, some years later every, occasionally there were these attempts and and never did it work and you could think of course it wouldn't. Like, uh, if you pause for maybe a few seconds and think about, like, what might be the challenges to this, 
uh, it seems pretty logical that this might not be the best solution. It, it is a solution, but certainly doesn't think, it, I don't think it would be the best solution. And yet this was the one that they had and, and they went for it. And I think as Peter talks about the end of all things, oh, and by the way, the, the solution for the emu problem that they eventually found in Australia, fences. It took them like 30 years to figure that out, but they eventually resolved to fences. I think this is really helpful, just kind of a silly illustration, but sometimes as we see a crisis, we want to respond efficiently and effectively, but oftentimes what we do is we just respond. We respond with something. And... And this is what our culture feeds off of, the, the instant response, the hot take, the, the instant reactions that, that often feel like just sort of scattershot solutions to a problem. But if you watch it and you see it in, in our society, in our culture, in, in the ways that we talk about what's going on in society, so much of these solutions don't get us very far because they're just instant reactions. They're not furthering solutions for our society. And what's needed, what Peter says as he talks about the end of all things, is that we be alert and of sober mind. The idea is we slow down, we pay attention, we're clear-headed as we think towards solutions, as we have conversations with our neighbors, as we engage the issues that are happening around us, we're not just firing off shots to fire off shots, but we slow down, we think, we listen, we have clear heads and clear minds. We're awake and alert. And the reason we do this is so that we can pray. I think of this coming from Peter and I've got to imagine that as Peter wrote these words to his audience, he was reflecting back on his time in the garden with Jesus. When the end of all things was so near for Jesus and his followers, when the world was about to change for them, and Jesus comes to them and says, be alert, wake up so that you can pray. The time is near for the Son of Man to be betrayed. And I have to imagine that as Peter wrote these words, be alert and of sober mind so that you can pray, he was thinking of exactly that moment. And his own tendency to fall asleep. And our own tendency to fall asleep in the midst of crisis, in the midst of change, instead of paying attention to what God is doing and how God might be using us in this moment, we're asleep. We're scattered. We're not paying attention to what needs to be paid attention to. And so he says, be alert and sober mind so that you can pray. So that as you see crisis come, as you see hardship come, as you see the world changing, you will respond by engaging God in what is going on. And also by engaging yourself, we engage ourselves with what God is doing in the moment because we believe that God is working, that God is active. Be alert and of sober mind. And then he says this, 
above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. We've been talking a lot about sin in our family lately, or at least discipline. Uh, as you, probably many of you are experiencing, whether you have kids or just uh, are with around other people, the longer this time stretches on, the longer the, the quarantine and we're moving through our phases stretches on, the, the more we, tension that can build in, in our relationships. And I think especially as I see our kids, um, it's just, it's exhausting for all of us, but, but our children don't always know what to do with that exhaustion, and we don't actually either. But uh, it comes out. It comes out in disobedience. It comes out in misbehavior. It comes out in tantrums. It comes out in frustration. And, and our kids are so much better at us than just showing, at showing their emotions, at being able to share and say, like, this is sad, this is hard, and we see it on their faces and so we've been dealing with this a lot this last week, uh, especially the last couple of weeks as school has been ending. We're trying to wrap that up. And, and it's hard. And we, and we hurt one another as we are hurt and as we're frustrated. And I was just having a conversation with my, one of my kids the other day, and, and we were talking about a consequence for something that he had done. And he just said to me, just stop talking to me that way. Like, how am I talking to you? And he says, Well, you're just you're making me sad because you're talking to me about the things that I've done wrong. And it's like, yeah, well, we have to talk about that. And but this is so true for us, right? When we are confronted, we don't like to talk about sin in in our lives. We like to talk about sin in other people's lives. We're okay with that usually, but we don't like to be confronted with our own sin. And this moment of like, yeah, it, it, it makes us sad when somebody says, this is how you've hurt me. And we get defensive. Uh, we, we attack back. We say, well, well, do you know what you did to me? Do you know what your response? Like, we know this, right? We see this in our personal lives. We see this again in our culture on a national scale. When, when people are saying, this is how I've been hurt. This is what's, going, this is what's wrong. With our, with our world, and, and the response so often is to say, yeah, but look at what you did, or look at what these people are doing, and we deflect rather than allowing ourselves to be confronted with our own sin. And what, what Peter says, he says, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And we know this to be true as a church, as Christians, we know that God's unconditional love for us. To know that we are loved despite our failings, despite our sins, despite our brokenness. This is, this is where we begin as Christians with, with a move towards repentance. To acknowledge that we are sinners. And it's God's unconditional love that allows us to confront, to face, to confess, to repent, to turn from the evil that is within us, the sin that is within us, the sin that we know we're capable of doing again. It's only knowing that God loves us that we can come and confess and confess and confess. We know that God is there to forgive us. And I think that's so important as we think about not just our, 
our sin nature, but as our personal sins, the sins that we engage with as we harm one another on a daily basis, the sins that exist in our own lives, the racism that we hold within ourselves, the systemic racism that our society has been built upon. It's the unconditional love of God that allows us to stare that evil in the face and to say that it has been forgiven, but we still need to turn and repent from it. Paul keeps talking about his sin over and over again as he writes his letters as he, in the book of Acts. He talks, he says, I was the chief of sinners. I persecuted the church. He doesn't try to ignore it or dismiss it. He confronts it. He talks about it because he understands that in talking about his sin, he's also able to talk about the grace of God. And as we as individuals and we as a society are being confronted with the sins of our nation, being confronted with the sins of our own prejudices that we all have, there's an opportunity for us to say, and there is God's grace in my life helping me to turn from those things. This is an excuse to keep doing it. This is an excuse to ignore it or to say, well, yep, I'm forgiven, so let's, let's not talk about it anymore. Paul doesn't do that. He keeps talking about it even though he's been forgiven because he understands that he's been changed. And the things that were once true about him, he no longer desires to be true. And so he confronts it. And it's the love of God that covers a multitude of sins for us. But it's also then, as Peter says here, our deep love for one another that allows us to confront the sins and to be forgiven. As my kids are sad, one of the things that I need to remind them again and again is, yes, there are consequences for what you've done but I love you. And that's not going to break the relationship. And as we harm one another, as we think about the ways that we have been harmed or harmed one another, have we sinned against one another? If we know that there is love waiting for us in our apology, it becomes so much easier. It's still hard. It's still sad. And yet the love that we have for one another covers those sins. And so, as, as Peter challenges, he challenges the people to move towards one another. And then he says this in verse 9. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If you speak, you should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If you serve, you should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And Peter says, offer hospitality to one another. Uh, we've, been, we've been looking at some stories of helping and encouragement in the book of Acts. And I want to take a look at just one of those from Acts chapter 9. It's a really short story, but it gives us again a picture of what Peter is talking about here as he, t- as he says, offer hospitality. Whatever gifts you have, use them towards one another. 
there's this short little story. We, we, Pastor Jim just briefly touched on it uh, early on as we started this series on, on helping one another in, in this sto- these stories from the book of Acts. But in Acts chapter 9, Paul has, this is immediately after Paul's conversion. In Acts chapter 9, Paul has been preaching in Damascus. And we're told in verse 23, after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Paul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Three verses. I remember this story as I was, from when I was a kid, I remember seeing flannel graphs of this story and being taught this as, as a little kid. And and it wasn't until years later that I realized, oh, there's not really a, a story there. It's like just a few verses, and we don't really know the details of what's going on. But it says, day and night they were watching him, looking to kill him. And I just, I, I picture this scene of what's going on here. What what might Paul and his friends, his disciples, be thinking as, as he's hiding out in this home, I assume? They're watching for him. They're, they're, they're keeping watch for him. And... And I don't know, one guy just looks over across the room and is like, uh, maybe we could put him in that basket and, and lower him down. And, and everyone kind of look at each other like, what? No, we're not going to do that. Like Something else will, will come up. And, and they're hiding and, and waiting. And finally, they're like, I, I, guess let's, I guess let's go with the basket idea. See, it's got to be something. And they do it. These disciples of Paul put him in a basket. I don't know how big this basket would have been, but obviously big enough to to hold an adult human. And they lower him down from the wall, and he's able to escape. And I just think about this story. I think about these guys sitting in this room figuring out a solution and I think about the words of First Peter. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. These followers of Paul, these guys that were, were helping him, were at risk to their own life as well. Peter says, use the gifts that you have received. And sometimes when we think about the end of all things, we think, well, if I'm going to respond to what's going on, I need to do something big. But maybe it's just using what you have to help one another. And this is what we've been talking about as a church. What are the, what are the small things that seem like, eh, it's probably not going to work, that we can do to move towards one another? This word hospitality, we've talked about before, it literally translates the love of the stranger. And so the way in which Peter is challenging, the way, like, these men that were helping Paul, they just met him. As far as we know, it's just been maybe a few months at the most that Paul has been in Damascus. And they're putting their own lives at risk to help him. And we are challenged this, this, to, to not just show love to one another deeply, but to offer this love for those who are outside of us. To give ourselves to one another. As we think about the end of all things. 
this challenge. When we think about hardship, so often our response is to go inward, to protect ourselves. We saw this early on, right? When, when the shutdown first started and, and things were closing up and people started hoarding. People started taking for themselves because they had to protect and, and maybe I can make some money off if I get a bunch and I can sell it. All kinds of responses that people had to protect themselves, to take care of themselves. And yet, the challenge that Peter has, he says, the end of all, near, of all things is near, is to move outward, to love one another deeply, to love those outside of us, to practice hospitality to those around us, to use what we have, the gifts that we have to serve one another. It's this movement not to bunker down and to hide and to protect ourselves, but to understand that we are a people who are loved by God and that God is in control. And because God is in control, we can be a people who move outward, who show love to those outside of us, who use our love to forgive and to cover the sins of those who have wronged us, who move towards one another with love and care. We offer hospitality without grumbling. We use the gifts that we have, whatever they might be, to serve one another. And we do this with alertness, with, with clear-mindedness, sober-mindedness, awake, engaging with God the things that are going on in our world. We pray. We engage God and we go where God is working. May we this week continue to be a people, strive to be a people who are awake, alert, sober mindedness, people who pray. May it be said of the people of Berean Bible Church scattered around the Seattle area that we love one another deeply. May it be said of us that we offer, we are people who offer hospitality. That we are people who use the gifts that we have received to serve others. Let's pray. God, as we, your church, uh, worship, as we anticipate the time where we can Uh, be together again. Again, remind us again and again that you are still working now. God, keep us awake to the things that you are doing. May we be thoughtful to the things that you have to say to us. May we love one another deeply. May we know that we have been forgiven. May we love those outside of our fellowship. May we be a people who serve. God, we can only do this by your strength. We can only do this with your power. 
And yet we know that you are with us and we have that strength. We have that power. We don't need to go somewhere to get it. So send us this week to be that people.